Today we're talking to Erica Huggins, the president of Fuzzy Door Entertainment and Seth McFarland's producing partner. Erica shares with us some incredible insight into her career, the importance of mentorship in her life, and why she prioritizes staying curious. Most interestingly, Erica talks to us about knowing when it's time to move on, when to ask for help, and how she's done that with grace throughout her entire career. Well, we're so excited to have you here. Thank you for yeah. having me. Absolutely. So, you know, we really want to hear your story. It's like you've had such an extraordinary career. You know, we'd love to kind of just dive in. Like, how did you how did you get into the business and <laughs> all the interesting you know, all the interesting you pieces. With? You've worked with so many interesting people. You know, you're a producing partner with Seth. We would love to hear how you guys met and and kind of just dive right in. Okay. Cool. Well, I'll start with I mean, I I began my career in the editing room. Um, it was uh, deliberate. I wanted to make documentaries when I came out of college. And I thought Did you that study was, film? I studied anthropology. Oh, okay. And then I took a couple of um, documentary film classes. And my first mentor was at Hampshire College, which is where I went to school. And Ken Burns was a big force of nature who had graduated from there. So there was a lot of history of documentary filmmaking there. Um, so I got inspired and I became very interested in that. I was from Los Angeles. I met my boyfriend who became my husband at college and we were both natives. So we moved back to LA. Okay. And my first job was being an apprentice editor um, and I learned the ropes through editing. I was I worked on Michael Cimino's movie, The Sicilian. I did three John Waters movies, That's starting crazy. with Hairspray. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. Were you um, were you the only woman in the room? No. So I had the benefit of a very fierce, amazing female editor who became my mentor and who brought me up through the world of. Um, post-production and editorial. I never got to make documentaries. We sort of got on this track of doing feature films and um, never really looked back. Um, there were a lot of iterations of what we were doing, but I moved up in the um, sort of hierarchy and became her co-editor. And so we would cut movies together. We did a movie that was at Disney for the Interscope guys who were producers at the time and had a company called The Gun and Betty Lou's Handbag. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the movie that changed my life. Uh, we ended up working very closely with the producers. They ended up asking me at, after the movie was done to come and be a producer at Interscope. So um, Robert Court, who was the president of the company at the time, um, asked me if it, he recruited me. He said, you should do this. You know, he had this idea that, you know, telling stories was a way to inform, but also everybody had their own story to tell. And so being a storyteller, bringing your baggage, your background and also the idea that I could tell a story in post-production, he felt that was something that you could apply to the development process. So it was, it was a lot of learning because I did not, I knew how to make a movie and uh, I knew how to finish a movie, 
but I had never worked in development or with agents or being in a, you know, group of executives. That was all new to me. And it was a, it was a big learning curve and it was a big pivot for me, but it was super fun. Do you remember that first day? Yes. Nobody knew I was coming. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of those things where Robert Court said, come be a producer, right? And it was kind of a lateral move, right? Because I had come to a place in my career as an editor where I could have kept just being an editor. Um, But the rest of the executives were unaware of my presence. And so uh, there was no office. There was no setup. It was completely, I I completely freaked out, I have to say. It It was bizarre. But Robert had promised me that he would teach me. And he offered for the first couple months that I, you know, be in the meetings with him, meet people through his meetings, go to lunches with him, be on phone calls with him. And he kept his word. So I got to learn by sort of watching and being part of it without feeling like I was thrown in the fire. Um, And it was a great learning experience. It was a great investment of his time in me. Um, and I was there for 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Do you feel like the behind the scenes and the, um, creative work that you did helped you become an executive? It helped you in dealing with talent and knowing that side first? I think so. I mean, you know, when you're on a movie set in post, when you're making a movie and it used to be that we always went wherever the movie was shooting. So I was on location a lot Mm -hmm. in Baltimore with John Waters, but I did a lot of location work. So we would be on the set every day. We would have dailies every night with everybody, you know, the producers, the crew, even the actors would come. And yeah, there was a camaraderie and a familial feeling about what it took to get a movie made. Um, So I felt like I had a lot of experience understanding what it was like to be on set. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was surprised to learn that the development process was, you know, a lot of the people that I had met or were meeting at Interscope those first few years had never made a movie. So it was an, I had something to learn from them and they could learn from me also because mm-hmm. the act of being with all these people daily, um, takes a little bit of understanding personality and just the psychology of how the hierarchy works. The the mentors that you're talking about and then you're mentioning, uh, they seem like they were really important you know, for your career development. Have you felt that um, kind of paying it back? Do you feel, do, are you a mentor? Did you feel like that was important after you had that experience? Yeah, I mean, I've had an amazing array of different people that became my mentors. And it is something that I very much value. Um, and I, I have a lot of people that I mentor, uh, not only in, you know, at Fuzzy Door, certainly at when I was at Imagine, but, you know, there's a natural feeling to, of wanting to give back and also wanting to treat people the way I was treated help people in the way I was being helped. And um, most of the people that have come up through my office, whether it was in the internship program at Fuzzy Door um, 
or my assistants or executives, you know, you, you learn how to help people figure out what the next step is going to be because, you know, it's not always the case that they want to do exactly what you're doing. Yeah, right. <laughs> so access, you know, giving people access to different kinds of people, to different kinds of different people in the business, um, and not and pushing people out of their comfort zone, I think is super important. That was a big thing for me too. Just right. not feeling like I. I always had to succeed that I could fail, and that was part of the lesson. How did you and Seth meet? Like, that was a big leap for you. It was. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a big pivot. So I was the president at um, Imagine Entertainment feature film department Mm -hmm. for eight years. Um, And the, the business had changed, and we all saw it happening. We saw the pivot from you know, mainstream movie goers to um, streaming to, you know, YouTube and TikTok and all the technology that came that that sort of changed the way we thought about going to the movies and seeing content. Um, and I found myself unable to do as many things as I wanted to do in the situation that I was in because it was a bifurcated company. So there was a movie department okay. and there was a TV department. And what was happening was a lot of the movie projects that I had were moving into television. You know, people weren't making mid-level dramas with movie stars. That was television, yeah. right? So I felt like I didn't have enough access to do the things I wanted to do. And... I had a great relationship with Brian and Ron. They were amazing. And it was time. It was. It felt like it was time for me to sort of stretch and expand. Um, and so I got set up to meet with Seth. I had been a fan. Um, my kids had spent many hours watching <laughs> Family Guy in America Dad. Inappropriate uh, content. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Inappropriate time-wise. I'm not so sure it was the right thing. But um, So we – and I was a, also a big fan of Ted. I had – I was so inspired by what he did with Cosmos. And I was a, I'm a – I love science. I love science fiction. And I was curious about – where he was going and what he was thinking about. It was an interesting sidebar for him to do based on what he was known for. It, exactly. But we all grow up, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> We're supposed to expand. We're supposed to expand our content. <laughs> What's interesting is that he was always a science guy. He was always a science fiction guy. He was always a big reader. It's just that he got, you know, he became successful at something that was subversively smart and cool and interesting, but, you know, funny forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you think of that or when you thought of that, I I think it was always in conjunction with the animated comedies. Um, but Cosmos had an animation in it, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, what he did with that show and what he was able to do with the people around him, his relationship to Carl Sagan um, and Andrean, who is Carl's widow, they became very close. She trusted him with 
this very precious thing that she and Carl did together, which was Cosmos. Mm -hmm. And um, he hired Brandon Braga, who is a longtime collaborator of Seth's um, on the Orville, but on we just did The End is Nigh with him. So there's there was a lot of history with the people that he was working with, and he was able to see see that through without having to be 100% involved in the daily process of trying to get that show made, yeah. which was new for him, which is what I found out in our first meeting, <laughs> which was that he enjoyed that process. He enjoyed the idea that he could, because of who he was, he could get something made that he was super excited about, but didn't have to run the show. Okay. Um, it's a big transition. Yes. Yeah. Very big transition. Yes. To delegate and to have that level of trust, is that's a huge leap. Yeah. And I think for Seth, he had always done everything himself, right? He had written, he had yeah. show ran, he had drawn the characters, he yeah. did all the voices, he directed. So everything in his life was 150%. So seeing something else through that was a success in a genre that nobody really thought thought of him for, I think was a big, um, it was, it was for him a, a shift. And that was what I think wanted, uh, created the interest in wanting to build a company. Mm -hmm. I think he saw all his peers doing it. I don't think he saw how he could do it until Cosmos. And so when I met with him, we had a lot in common. You know, we talked about Cosmos, we talked about books. I was very, excited about science fiction. I was watching the Orville, which I thought was amazing. Um, How did you even get the intro? How did you even get there in the room together? So Risa Gertner, who is um, my very good friend, but also has been sort of my fairy godmother um, uh, through my career, uh, she got me, she introduced me to Brian Grazer. Okay. She introduced me to Seth MacFarlane. Oh my gosh. Um, so that's how. And but I had to get through a, a, a sort of first interview, which was all the very uh, kind of important and successful women that run Seth's life. Mm. And that was the first meeting. It was a lunch. <laughs> and, you know, I felt like I was, I was definitely it, – it was a really interesting conversation because not everybody has all these strong women – yeah. sort of running their lives. And most of them had been part of his life since he started Family Guy at 24. So there was a loyalty there and there was an understanding of the kind of person that I think he would want to be in business with mm -hmm. and have a partnership with. Um, he was shooting the Orville when we met. So the time was you know, very, it was a very small window for us to first meet. And then we followed it up with a drink. And I think we just kind of, he saw what I was and I saw that he was interested in me sort of taking the lead. And I was excited and ready for it. You know, I was ready to um, run a company. I had learned a lot from my previous experiences um, and it was, you know, Fuzzy Door was kind of a name on a door. It wasn't a company when I walked into that beautiful office, <laughs> um, five years ago. Okay. You know, there was no infrastructure. There were a couple, 
of people in the offices, but it was not a company. And so, you know, he trusted me to build the company. And at the time, we were also um, finishing out our deal. He was finishing out his deal, I should say, with 20th. Okay. Um, and now that he had a company, we were looking for kind of a bigger, better way of presenting what Fuzzy Door could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we ended up getting a deal with UCP, which is Universal Content Productions. Um, and we've, it's funny, it started a few months before COVID started. Mm-hmm. So that was a really interesting transition, trying to meet new people, become good partners with your studio and everybody's, you know, on Zoom. And so we actually didn't meet each other for a long time in person. Um, But COVID was a really interesting time for Seth and I because before that, he was very busy on Orville. He was show running, he was directing, and he was starring in it. So there was not a lot of time um, for us to sort of interact. I mean, we would text every day and talk, but we didn't have a lot of, you know, a lot of time to really think about process and how things were going to work. So I just made things work the way I knew how to, you know, make them work. And when we, when he had some downtime during COVID, it was a really good time for us to get to know each other and understand how we could work together. Um, And we trust each other and he trusts me and he lets me, do my things that I'm excited about for Fuzzy Door. I'd worked with men for a long time and I knew how to work with Seth. It it seemed like a natural fit. Um, He liked working with me. He likes working with me, I should say. (laughs) Um, You know, we have a lot of similar interests in terms of wanting to disrupt, wanting to, you know, find ways to tell stories in new ways, to, you know, look at the marketplace and and do something that nobody else is doing and not necessarily, um, you know, do what everybody seems yeah. to be doing well. I think that there's, there's a lot of times you hear no and you have to come back and figure out how to get the yes as opposed to just giving up. And that's something that I think we both have in common. We're not easily dissuaded by a no. Okay. When you walked into Fuzzy Door on that day one, did you were you were you completely overfaced? Did you have doubt? Were you, you know, yeah. it, it, you know <laughs> were you, you know, when you start when you think back on that, uh, what were your fears? How did you overcome them? Because that was a big role. Yeah. You know, especially since it wasn't a fully developed production company at that point. Um, I felt, um, like there was a lot that I had to do to get up to speed, but it wasn't doubt so much as, you know, a lot of fear that I had to, you know, I had to work out what the first steps were going to be in order to get what was a startup felt like a startup, yeah. you know, with a very long runway. I mean, come on, he yeah. had started, he right. he gave us the access 
because of all his success and who he was. But figuring out how to expand Fuzzy Door and the brand um, was a big part of that first year. Mm -hmm. And there were there was one executive that was that had worked on Cosmos that was still at the company that had been helping out. Uh, and, you know, she's one of my most trusted executives at the company because she knew not only everything that had come before, but also she was ready for that kind of mentoring relationship. She was, she was dying for somebody to come in and, and, and show her and give her the opportunity to expand. And it was super fun. And it was, you know, hiring new people, building out the company, um, finding ways to integrate the people that had been in Seth's life that were very important to him, not only showrunners and um, some writers, but also, you know, the people in his life that he had come to rely on. Um, and I had known what that felt like mm -hmm. when I was in my previous jobs. I mean, a family is a family, and everybody's part of it. So, um, so yeah, walking into that that beautiful office that first day was was a little with my box <laughs> <laughs> and my assistant. Um, yeah, it was a little daunting, but it was, you know, I knew from the people around Seth that this was real, yeah, and that they were going to support me, and they did. And they trusted some of my crazier ideas, you know, and it it ended up feeling like, you know, for every couple of good moves you make, you make a couple of not so good moves. So learning how to find the right balance of people, making sure that I was committed to an internship program, which was very important to me back at my previous jobs, having people come in, using outreach to find people that didn't necessarily have access <clears throat> to the movie business, mm -hmm. and seeing if that was something that they were going to be excited about. I mean, somebody took a, a, you know, Robert came to me with this proposal to come and be a producer. I hadn't really thought about it. I was enjoying my life as an editor. It wasn't like I was looking for an out. And I think that had he not given me that opportunity, I don't think I would have, my path would have been very different, let's put it that way. Yeah. And so I feel like the internship program that we have, we have somewhere between you know, five and seven interns every summer. Mm -hmm which is big yeah. for a small company. And it is, it's just fun. You know, it's fun to see um, who's good at what and to focus on people's, um, you know, sort of curiosity and lead people in a direction um, that will help them look at the world slightly differently. I think learning how to be curious is something that we all need sometimes. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and 
I've lost the thread of what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just ram- rambling no, now. No, it's at all. very interesting. <clears throat> um, going back to your other positions and your other companies, I'm very curious on the strength it took to quit those jobs because they were, I mean, those were amazing companies, amazing positions. And what, you know, whether it was, like you said, Robert making that offer and and showing you a different path, but then with Interscope and then with Imagine, how, that's a brave move because it's easy to say, I've got a great job at a great company. I don't really need to do anything else. You know, 10 years is a long time. 14 years is a long yeah. time. And I think there is a comfort level that you have with being at the same place for once you've gotten past that five-year point, you know? And I like a long relationship. I'm very loyal, too. Um, You know, each one had its own sort of natural ending. Okay. It wasn't fraught or unpleasant in any way. Which I think that almost makes it harder, right? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) It can. In fact, I just had lunch with Ron on Friday, you know, Brian and I and Seth are all doing a project together at um, Peacock. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's part of the community that you build, right? And so it always, um, you know, when I've seen and counseled people, friends and colleagues, when something goes bad at a job, and it can, mm-hmm. Um And I think the biggest thing is to remember that these people that you hate in the moment are going to be people that you're going to rely on in the future. They are the people that you have worked with, that you understand, that you trust. And I think that you never know who you're going to be working with or working for. I think there's a saying about, you know, be careful because yeah. your assistant's going to be your boss in right, 10 years. Right. Well, it's interesting because we've I've, I've had a lot of conversations lately with folks about graceful quitting, mm-hmm. you know, of like what what do you feel you owe those, you know, that community and that family that you've built? That's right. You know, and when you look at it, it's not two weeks notice, <laughs> you know, right. it's not – it's how do you have those hard, harder conversations that's, you know, I'm thinking about leaving and things along those lines. How did those transitions go for you? You know, because when you- I left Ima- uh, Imagine, it was it the the job was changing. Yeah. You know, they saw me and what I was want what I was hoping to do and they knew that I wasn't satisfied with what they were allowing me to do. And that says a lot about them too. Yeah. Yeah. To have that yeah. realization. Have that. Yeah. And so the job the, the movie business at Imagine was shrinking. My job was shrinking. It felt like, you know, I could have stayed um, or I could have made a production deal with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a natural time. It just felt like, you know, I'd, I had I had built a, a department that felt stable. The people who were there were super capable um, and – so leaving behind this legacy that I had uh, was it was it didn't feel bittersweet. It felt like I was moving on to a different and better place for me, and I think for them too. It was yeah. time, you know. There's there's you get to a certain point in your career, and it's scary the the feeling of leaving this comfort. But I like change. 
I mean, you wouldn't know it because of the length of time I've had these jobs. <laughs> but but I actually like you. change. <laughs> I enjoy that feeling of a little bit of discomfort. Um, I mean, I didn't know what the TV business was. I thought I knew what it was, but it took a lot to understand what the differences were, what the similarities were, and and who all the people were. I didn't realize that there was this huge ecosystem of people that existed not only in the showrunners and writers and directors and producers, but also the executives and the agents and the managers. And so that was a big learning curve. And it was, um, it, it was, and it still is something that, you know, having been in the film business sometimes helps but sometimes they ha they have no idea right yeah, you know and so it's a it's starting out you know for the first time making those introductory calls saying hey you know this is who i am this is what i'm doing and hoping that people are you know, understand and, and want to be in that relationship with you. Um, and it's happening more and more. It's not just happening to me. I look at what's happened to the business generally mm -hmm. since, you know, kind of the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. You know, we've, everybody who was a movie star on, on in the movies is now, you know, making television, yeah. making premium television. Mm -hmm. It's super exciting. You get to see, you know, a, a movie every episode, which is cool. Yeah. You know, Seth did it last season on the Orville, which was yeah. amazing what he did. Um, so the process of leaving and starting was, yeah, it it it, it gives you a stomach ache sometimes yeah. because you're worried <laughs> that you're gonna you're gonna screw it up. Mm -hmm. um, but I've, I've been doing it long enough where I know how to call for help. Yeah, oh. I have a lot of people on my short list that I can use for, you know, information that will help me introduce me to the right people uh, that I can talk to about certain problems that I might be having. You know, when you look at, you know, your role at Fuzzy Door right now, you know, what is the vision that you have for the company? You know, obviously Seth has his, but, and he brings you, he, he brought you in and he has that trust with you. What's your, <laughs> what's your vision? What do you want to, what is the stamp that you want to leave on Fuzzy Door? You know, oftentimes we talk about wanting to, you know, expand what's happening in the zeitgeist or be a mirror to what's happening in the zeitgeist because there's a lot of change in our world also these days. Um, and so having the opportunity to do, for instance, like The End Is Nigh, and I know we're not talking about projects, but this was special yeah. because it was about something that we all cared, we all cared about and care about, which is science and the idea of global warming, the idea of disasters. Um, but we were trying to do it in a way that was super fun. And the idea of making a disaster movie every week 
was kind of our goal, mm-hmm. you know, when we started. And it was Bill Nye. I mean, yeah, it's, it's Bill so Nye. Yeah. <laughs> that was the best thing that happened to, you know, my relationship with my children <laughs> was Bill Nye because that was cool for them. The coolest moment yeah, ever set like, that's been that's Bill Nye. Nye. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, Bill was, I think he crosses generations. You know, everybody knows who he is. He's a bigger star than most people I've ever met being out with him. People flock. Mm-hmm. And he's this happy, personable, you know, funny human um, who likes to have, you know, real conversations with people. So people, I mean, people would stop him on the streets and he would have conversations with him and with them and talk to the kids. And, you know, he answers questions with such joy, you know, even though he's talking about some slightly dark things, you know, you see the joy in his voice, the hope that we are better than what we've exhibited so far, at least. Um, So I think that I've had a lot of movies in the past that haven't succeeded on the big sort of um, uh, opening weekend kind of in, in that world of success, you know, moderate success versus amazing success. I think it'd be fun to have some something in between, some kind of cool, fun success that is also about doing something slightly different being a little subversive with the things that we are doing, like Ted. You know, we just finished shooting uh, the TV show that is based on the movie, that is based on the character of Ted that Seth created. Right. Um, and it is a half-hour comedy that we're doing for Peacock. Um, and it was so much fun to do and really hard because it's yeah. a CG character is starring in a television show, which I don't think would have been possible until very recently, you know, in that sort of immersive way where you feel like Ted is sitting next to you on the couch. Right, right. Um, So that was, you know, that was a a way to do something that felt like we're making a different kind of choice. We're doing something slightly different. And we get to talk about all the crap that's happening in our world today mm-hmm. through the lens of 1993. And yeah. so you can get away with a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you're looking at technology, how, you know, even just talking about Ted, how are you discovering or pushing the bounds with technology? Because obviously that's a huge piece of your content and, and yeah. your projects. You know, are you looking at startups? Are you looking at even like from an acquisition standpoint? You know, there's so much tech coming through. What does that look like for, for you know, the future and, and how you're looking at content and your plays? So we, we are definitely interested in technology, both of us, both Seth and I. He's always been trying to push the boundaries. I think he gets super excited about that. He did on Cosmos, um, on Orville, um, he realized that he needed something, a tool to help him. And he he had a bunch of super brilliant um, tech people that were working with him and artists that were working with him at the time 
that he challenged to build him a piece of tech, which they did. And it's called ViewScreen. And it's something that they used on the Orville. It's something that we used on TED. And it is a um, production tool. So it allows the DP, the director, um, the actors basically to be able to see what's not necessarily real in the screen. Mm -hmm. So they don't have to do off camera things along those lines. Well, imagine Ted is sitting. Yeah, or trying to act to nothing. You really act to nothing. Yeah, you see those. In that screen over there with view screen, Ted would be sitting there. That's very cool. So it's the easiest way to describe it, right? It allows everybody to understand how it's going to work in the final product. So it gives data to the visual effects people. It allows us on our phones. Anybody who has an iPhone can basically use this technology. It tracks in real time the movements of a particular character. For instance, Seth, being Ted, could track track his facial movements and attract his body movements so that when we get into the editing room, we already have a lot of information mm. about how Seth, how Ted is going to jump up on that couch and, you know, put his arm around you and and, you know, start talking. So and so view screen helps that process. And we're just about to launch view screen. We have created a company called Fuzzy Door Tech, oh which is really exciting. That's very cool. <laughs> yeah. And so the, you know, I think the the dream is to continue down that path, mm -hmm. to continue to look at how this technology can expand. Um, we've already talked about using it on one of our other movies for location scouting and real-time understanding, you know, how a visual effects shot could work in a particular location. Again, in real time, mm -hmm. you're on the scout, you're with all your people, the whole crew is there, you pull up your phone and you can see that police car and how it's going to look in that particular um, alleyway and how it's going to, you know, do its stunt, and will the alleyway work for that particular stunt in real time? Or the Orville ship landing in a, you know, on a different planet um, at sunset that you're shooting out in the middle of the desert in Los Angeles. So it allows you to see in real time the way in which these shots will actually look um, it also gives the actors access to sort of what they're looking at, what they're supposed to be in awe of, what they're <laughs> supposed to be afraid of. Um, so it's pretty cool. That's, That's really very cool. cool. Yeah. I was going to ask you um, if you miss the, the, the creative and the production side, but it sounds like this role, you are able to be in all the things you love. It's I true. Can, I can hear yeah. it just in you talking about like yeah. the yeah. what you're working on. No, it's, it's not good. just an executive role. It's you're able to be have hands in everything. It's great to yes, I, I love it, but I also know my limitations and where I need to focus. So I also am 
really happy to have people at the company that are really good at doing things that I'm not as good at right now, you know, and building a team with people that have a skill set that you don't necessarily have or can't have anymore because of the other job that you're doing. Um, but yes, I love being on set. I love being around, you know, actors and writers and being in the room, you know, but I also understand that we're running a company and there's a lot of people now at that company. Um, and I want it to be successful. So how big is Fuzzy Door right now? You know, there's probably 25 people, I would say, with all the support staff, our assistants, um, HR. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have Fuzzy Door Tech who come in and out of the office space. And, um, you know, we have the post-production folks for... Ted in our offices, and we also have the editing rooms. Okay. Um, so it's robust. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot happening. Yeah. yeah. It's Versus fun. that first day with your boss. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a different vibe, <laughs> a different feeling. Yeah. Well, I know we got the we got the time limit, but I want to ask what what are you watching? What are you loving? What are you reading? What are your favorite things to kind of unwind with uh, for entertainment? Um. Last night we watched Succession and we're sort of obsessed. And it's funny, it makes me anxious every time I watch it. Right. It's one of those shows that you have anxiety because you're like, well, what's going to happen next? What am I going to see? Yeah, it just yeah. gives yeah. me anxiety yeah. all the time. Um, but I try it. I watched The Swarm, which I really loved. Um, I dipped into Yellow Jackets, which I hadn't seen before. Um, I'm trying to look at all the different kinds of things that are actually happening. We loved shrinking, yeah, which was shrinking super was fun funny, yeah. um, and funny. Um, you know, we just saw Tetris, the movie, oh, uh -huh. which is excellent. And really, I have to say, just so much fun to watch and such a crazy story. Um, you know, we try and see a lot of movies. Good. And it's hard yeah. because... The arc light is no longer in my neighborhood. <laughs> the arc light. Comes I'm looking up a right lot at you. At our, I know. I know. <laughs> no, it's it, and it is hard to go to the movies now. Sometimes in some in some markets. Well, it's also just time. Yeah, and and but I do love what you've evolved in your different positions and your different companies. Now that just that seamless from streaming to premium television to theatrical yeah. movies it seems like that's just i think that's lovely for content and for consumers yeah. is yeah we can get what we can find something everywhere it's the greatest moment for yeah. consumers yeah. i mean it is Absolutely. and you know i think that the business is going through some you know hard changes right now but i'm certain that we will find the equilibrium to keep it going because this Anytime television, you know, OTT, whatever it's called these days, yeah. is definitely here to stay. We all know that it's not going away. And we all feel that do we have to have, you know, all the subscriptions to every streamer? Wouldn't it be nice if there was a, the ability to watch the morning show on a different, you know, streamer? Yeah. yeah. Or 
you know, something something that we talk about a lot is just how the business is changing and what the things are that need to sort of yeah. be sustainable. And I think that's one of them, you know, is how can you, and I think it's starting to happen, you know, how do you watch your favorite streamer that you want to pay for, which is- Oh, 100%, especially in this environment when you're you know? looking at inflation, everybody's cost cutting. So when you're looking at a bill and you see, I spend $300 yeah. on all my subscriptions, <laughs> all my plus you pay for cable, that's linear, right. yeah, you're, right. you know- and you're starting to see, and it's it's funny because a lot of folks that I talk to, we talk about what that strat IP and what the content strategies and the distribution strategies should be in there. You know, how many people sign up for Peacock for a month and then shut it down, or you know, and right. and people are coming in and out of trials constantly right. with different email addresses and so forth just mm -hmm. to watch the morning show or Ted Lasso, and then they cancel it and they move on. That's right. Yeah. You know, and and that is going to be some that's going to be an uphill battle. You know, in some ways, I think depending on how the you know how the streamers really want to deal with that moving forward. Well, it's a it's a it's a good conversation to be having because we know that the business model of subscriptions has slowed way down. Right. I mean, we saw it happen last year. We understand that it's not a sustainable model. So what is? We still have all these amazing people making incredible content. Why not license your show on an off season to a different streamer right. so that those people have access to the show that they can't pay for on the other streamer. That's one way. That's, the other way is what they're doing already, which is, you know, um, uh, advertising on the streamers now and having, you know, different yeah, tier. Premium tier, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, it's almost recreating linear. Like, exactly. It's, it's like no, it's going back. Like OTT, yeah. OTT yeah. broke down yeah. linear and now they all have to figure out how do you get back to a model that is sustainable that will be cost effective and, you know, mutually mm -hmm. advantageous for everybody. Free television right. and, and cable it's, that, it's yeah. It's it'll be in the next five years will be very interesting to see what happens the next couple of years. Well, and I think that pe that certain people always knew that that was going to happen. You know, you always had those those outliers saying, you know, no network is not over. Yeah. And I was like, really? <laughs> you know, streaming is so cool and yeah. look what we have. But they saw the business model of it in a different way. Right. And I think that we're all seeing it now. Yeah. And, um, you know, they were definitely ahead of the curve. I also think that having choice is what people are used to, you know? And so reducing that choice is gonna be really hard. I think people now are, and the consumer wants to be able to have as many choices as mm -hmm. possible. Mm -hmm. Watch a movie on a screen, watch a movie, you know, in a theater. I mean, I'm all for the theatrical experience, and I think that it will come back. But there's nothing like being able to curl up in your own house with your family, your partner, whoever, your friends, and watch a movie that doesn't necessarily have to be seen on a big right, screen. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think it. I think the quality just continues to increase. It makes all ships rise when exactly. we have all of these places, which is, like you said, the consumer's winning. Yes. Is is who is winning right now because there's so much great stuff out there. Yeah. 
Well, Erica. Thank you. Oh thank my you. gosh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank we have you. so many, so many people in common, so much of this. I know, it's, it's fantastic. Been fantastic. It's really thank nice to so meet both of you. Us. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for having me. Of it was course, really fun. Of course. Absolutely. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. To stay up to date with In Her Words, join the conversation by following Women in Entertainment on our social channels and subscribe to our weekly newsletter at womenandentertainment.com.